Welcome everyone to WRPX, your wrestling revolution podcast. I am your host, Antonio Garza, and it is an incredibly hot day today. The Google weather says 96 degrees Fahrenheit, but I swear it feels like 196 degrees. Uh, it is sunny, it is dry, and it is like burning everything. It's like living in a saucepan, and oh my god. But... You know what else is really, really hot right now? That is Stardom. Yes, the promotion from Japan, Stardom. They had a, a show which has a lot of people talking because uh, there was one particular match that a lot of people are loving. And so that is going to be part of what we're going to be talking about today. We also watched some Impact Wrestling, uh, Impact Plus special this sun, uh, Saturday. It was a Saturday. And so we have a, it's not a really, really like heavy, heavy show today. But we have some great things to talk about. And so let's go ahead and start. And yes, we are going to start with Stardom Tokyo Dream Cinderella Special Edition. Uh, this took place on the 12th of June, Ota City General Gymnasium in Ota City, Japan, Tokyo, uh, in the, the the Tokyo area. They actually had a pretty decent crowd. It was about 1,200 people. I could easily imagine that without COVID restrictions, they could have pushed it up a little bit more. But maybe not, because here's the thing about the show. When I saw the card of this show last week, I wasn't that crazy excited. Like, I was excited because of several things. Like, if you see the card, you saw that we had the finals of the Cinderella tournament. And it was something that we've been following for a while. But at this point, we knew the final four. And two of those four had no chance of winning, not even making the finals. So it really was just two matches and the finals. We had uh, the World of Stardom Championship match. With, that one was probably like the thing that I was most looking forward to. And it delivered. <laughs> and then the rest of the card was like the the Oido Tai versus Stars match. Which was pretty much a repeat from what we saw in Yokohama not long ago. I think it was April. And then we had the Parejas Increíbles match. Which, I mean, it sounds cool. But... We don't really even know the teams. Like when we see a Parejas Increíbles match in in CMLL, for instance, we usually do see who the partners are, and we know what the prize for the winning team is, which usually tends to be a match uh, for a bigger show later on. But in this case, we didn't know. Like we, we didn't know who the teams were, and we didn't know uh, if there was any prize for the winner. And I think there really wasn't. Uh, at least not in kayfabe. Otherwise. And so it's completely understandable to see this card on paper and be like, huh, it's going to be a good show. It's going to be a, a, a big ish show, but it didn't really feel like a must watch show. But I'm really glad that I decided to must watch it. Um, I watched it. I didn't watch it live, but I watched it on. I watched it like 
part of it on Saturday night. Uh, well, not even Saturday night. It was like Saturday, Saturday early-ish because I did watch it before Impact. Um, but nonetheless, it turned out to be an incredible show uh, because there was many, many things that just ended up working to perfection. And I'm going to run down... Let's start from the beginning. Like I think we, we, we don't need to rush things. Uh, the first match was a dark match. There was a dark match. I actually, I actually didn't watch this match. Uh, I'm guessing this match is going to be in the Stardom World of like videos. But we didn't get this match if you were watching uh, the pay-per-view. And that was Rina defeating Hina and Lady C uh, in your opener three-way. I think this was less than six minutes, so it's okay. Nothing special. Uh, I actually did wonder why Rina and Hina were not part of the bigger match later on with the Titan Stars, but it, it didn't really make sense to have them there. Uh, next up, we had the start of the show. The show opened with the, the semifinals for the Cinderella Tournament 2021. First up, Micah defeated Unagi Sayaka under 10 minutes. I really liked this match. I, I, I actually liked it more than Kamitani and Himeka, uh, but it may just be like my personal ref preference of both Sayaka and Micah. Um, the only bad thing about this match is that like Sayaka, by all means, she got way further than anyone expected her to get. And so I think uh, uh, like, I don't know if this was the case for a lot of people, but for me, I just didn't see any way feasible that Sayaka was going to defeat Micah and make it to the finals. Uh, so it was to me like, like that, actually that was a problem with both the semifinals. And so like to me, they were just like more about going through the process of seeing how we get there. I really enjoy how we got there. Uh, Sayaka looked pretty decent. She had some little fire in her for this match. And and Mike, uh, at this point, she's coming in with an injured leg, and so she's selling the leg, and that's kind of like going to become her whole story of the night. Uh, Mike defeated Sayaka with a Mishinoku driver number two, if I'm not mistaken, and that was it. Like it was a pretty decent match. Um, I don't know. It like it was a match that you could have seen in literally any other Stardom show. But for the semifinal, it was okay. Um, I guess you could have had a stronger semifinal. But given that the semifinals took place in this particular show, I think it was okay to have Himeka and Sayaka involved in those matches just to put them over and to allow other people to have other stuff going on in other matches. Uh, next up, we had the second semifinal of the night. Uh, Sayaka Mitani defeated Himeka. Uh, this also went just a little bit under 10 minutes. Um, Kamitani won with a Fisherman Buster, if I am not mistaken. Um, and this was an okay show. I mean, okay show, okay match. Uh, I Like I said, like I liked Sayaka versus Mika slightly more. Like to me, Himeka and Kamitani was kind of like a power versus speed type of match, but not really like pushing it like too hard into that gimmick. It was just more of their styles clash. 
And like I can totally also see that Kamitani was saving a lot of the aerial stuff for the finals. And because of that, we saw some aerial stuff and some good teases, for instance, with the over the top row, because I was still eligible. But I didn't feel like this was like, I mean, I could totally just tell like Himeka is saving herself for the, the finals. And I mean, Kamitani and Himeka look like she looked good. Um, I really enjoy Himeka because she's so different from everyone else. Like her style is just different. And so I enjoy the pair up. I, but like I said, like I just wasn't like, like really intrigued to think that Himeka may have a chance, especially knowing at this point that Micah won the other one. And again, there was no chance that we were going to like sacrifice the Micah Kamitani rivalry just to have Himeka and Micah stable mates wrestle at the end. It, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, and realistically, if you see the final four, Sayaka, Micah, Himeka and Kamitani, there is one wrestler who has like, the most chances of winning the whole thing and that was Kamitani um uh, I think Micah is kind of like she's flirting with that line of becoming the, the top like a top level wrestler where she's winning tournaments and she's wrestling for the title like often but I don't think she's there as Kamitani is. I think Kamitani is already there. And she, I think she's already crossed the line after um, All-Star Dream Cinderella and after uh, Yokohama Dream Cinderella. I think she already crossed that line and she's more established. And so this was just like maybe like more of a formality of giving her the tournament wins so she can, you know, start to, to mess around with that top echelon of wrestlers. But nonetheless, I mean, we're still in like pretty good match uh, territory. And so we are getting Micah versus Kamitani later tonight. Next up, we had a, it's Parejas Increíbles, uh, which means like random pair ups of tag teams, random tag teams. And so we had the, the, the stables come out. We had Dona del Mundo, which was Natsu Boy and Julia. We had Cosmic Angels, which was Tam Nakano and Mina Shirakawa. And then we had Queen's Quest, which, which was Momo Watanabe and Asumi. And so the thing that happened is that the announcer had uh, three pairs of chopsticks. Each chopstick had like their points colored differently. So I think it was red, uh, blue, and white. And so first off, like um, I think it was Mina Shirakawa, or maybe it was Momo, I don't remember. Uh, but three of them got their first stick and so it was one of each corner and the colors were actually like uh akakona uh alcona and the neutral corner so each colors and so then we got the other tree who got the sticks and then we got the teams of asumi and natsupoi for the high speed team julian tanakano uh, for the i guess the white belt feud team <laughs> And Shirakawa and Watanabe for the awkward, we don't know where they're going team. And and so like the match didn't only have like really good wrestling. It was so incredibly fun to see like all the different, like not just like tag team interactions, but also like the confrontations because we don't often get like 
Watanabe versus Asumi or Natsupoi versus Julia or Nakano versus Shirakawa. Like, you don't usually get that stuff. And so it was really, really uh, enjoyable to see, like, all the interactions, to see how tag teams kind of work together. Like, Natsupoi and Asumi ended up being, like, a perfectly uh, built team with a bunch of chemistry. They both wrestled really similar. And so they were, like, already, like, working together from the start. Julia and Tam Nakano, they literally months ago they just finished a blood feud i guess we can call it if it ended with a title versus hair match i would consider that a blood feud um and so obviously they were just like on each other's throats the whole match and then just kind of working together when when things just kind of forced them to work together and then you have mina shirakawa and watanabe who are probably like the most randomest of random teams but it was also so interesting because to see, like, you would imagine that, oh, maybe Watanabe is going to bring out, like, the ass kicker in Shirakawa, but it ended up kind of being the other way around. Uh, Shirakawa brought out the, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Like, you have Watanabe doing the, the Cosmic Angels pose. And um, so that was interesting. But, like like, like I said, the, the wrestling itself was really fun. I really enjoyed seeing Asumi and Natsupoi work together as a team. Uh, Natsupoi versus Julia didn't go far, but it was cool. Uh, Watanabe and Asumi actually got into, like, a good uh, square off. And Nakano and Shirakawa was, was kind of there. Uh, I, I wouldn't think it was much because Shirakawa actually did a lot of comedy in this match, which was, it was okay. Um... I actually didn't mind having some comedy because, look, if you see the whole card, the next three matches are going to be incredibly dramatic. And so it was cool to see some comedy in this match right before we go into drama, like, a thousand percent. Um, but yeah, and at the end, we saw Asumi go for La Mystica on Shirakawa. Shirakawa kind of rolled over, so Asumi couldn't get the 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 arm bar but instead asumi kind of like reacted and got a crucifix pin for the win and that was it it was like i was like a really really fun match uh i wouldn't mind if this type of match would happen more often in more promotions as just exhibition matches because they're really fun and they offer something new you know something new that you don't see as often like i wouldn't do this way too often or, like, for instance, I, I think of it as, like, in New Japan, where we have also stables. I don't know if it would be, like, so fun over there, given that, for instance, Chaos and the home team have been pretty much tag teaming for, like, two years now. Uh, but, you know, there's the, like, for instance, Bullet Club and Suzuki Gun. They could have some interesting, like, Parejas Increíbles uh obviously any villainous stable with chaos or home group could be interesting but i don't know it'd be fun to see this in more promotions i i think i would enjoy it next up we had the elimination match loser must join the opponent's group and this is not a deja vu they literally did the same match that we saw in uh like not long ago in yokohama dream cinderella this was i don't know i think it's kind of risky uh to put this on a card because i think you're going to to give the impression to the fans that you're just doing the same shit on a different day and 
granted it kind of was but if you think about it this is all part this is just an extra piece in the story being told right now with Mayu Watani as Mayu Watani once again loses another part of her life uh you know we, we we've seen her lose a lot of things in the last years from well not years i mean in the last like for for this storyline but she lost uh tamakano to the cosmic angels she lost uh fukigen dev uh, uh gokigen dev back then in the previous match and so you you come into this match thinking two things either this is the way to get back like things back in like more like a balance status just to give someone from Oedotai to stars or this is like straight up just the I don't think it's the climax but I think this is like uh let's just say this is the Empire Strikes Back match of the Stardoms and Mayu Watani uh storyline because at this point stars has to like in the last month stars had to bring back a wrestler that hadn't been in the promotion for years i'm talking about koguma stars had to ask for outside assistance in order to have this match in the name of ring kadokura and they're coming in with mayuatani starlight kid and hanan as part of stars and so just that alone tells you that stars especially mayu watani is hitting like a slight desperate point of just she needs to get this win and she's like just pulling out everything that she can so she can like get the match and go for it and what ends up ends up happening is that starlight kid loses the match she gets i guess drafted <laughs> to oedotai and just like that, Maju Watani has not only lost another part of her whole being right now, I think she lost the biggest and most important part of her last, I don't know, like maybe since uh, Shirai and, and Kerry Hojo left the promotion, she has lost Starlight Kid, which... Like Iwatani and, and Starlight Kid have been together pretty much since Starlight Kid started with the promotion. Um, they've always been kind of like a slight protege and mentor relationship. And so she's lost her. And like it's crazy because in the last couple of like weeks and, and slightly more, we had seen Mayu Watani and Starlight Kid as a tag team. And they have been fantastic and it, and it gives you hopes and all that stuff. And then we come into this match and, he and, and Starlight Kid loses. And so now she belongs to Edotai. And it will be like, this is something that in the first match, I totally speculated because I totally thought it was going to be Starlight Kid back in Yokohama. And like, to me, this was like a, a story that can go both ways, either we get dark light or, or star dark kid uh, a dark version of starlight kid or we get a starlight kid who is fighting from within to survive and who will eventually win her own freedom from Wedotai in probably like a strong match against uh, Natsuko Tora 
it should be against Tora. Um, and so, I don't know, like, I think there is a lot of potential here, but it will be also interesting to see how Mayu Watani goes on, like, after this match. Uh, does she have a breakdown? Does she, I don't know, like, does, does she just bring someone else to join stars? Does, I don't know, like, does she go in a violent, like, path against Oil Tai? And it's going to be interesting especially because of the uh, certain development that happened later in the show we know that Tsukotora is already like hinting on going to a different direction or not even hinting she's, like she's straight up trying to go on a different direction and so it'll be interesting to see what Iwatani goes through in the next uh maybe month or, or so and yeah I think this this storyline just got way more interesting to me because now like when Fukigan Death moved, it was just like a chip on Aniwatani's armor. It bothered her, but it was kind of like, hey, I'm sorry. But losing Starlight Kid, that's a completely different thing. That is like, that's like losing your right arm for Iwatani. And so I think what's to come is going to be really, really interesting. As for the match, the match itself, I didn't think it was as good as the match we saw on Yokohama. I think it was just because of like maybe the participants, for instance, like on the side of stars, I didn't expect uh, Kalokura, Koguma or Hanan really to lose. Maybe Koguma because she had just been like recently brought in. And so it would be interesting to see her uh, turn more than lose, maybe just like straight up turn. Um, so that would have been interesting. On the other Thai, sa uh, thai side, I wasn't expecting Natsuko Tora or Raka to lose. Fukigen death would have been incredibly underwhelming just to see her go back. And Konami and Kashima, like, they could have lost, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It was, like, I didn't really think Konami was going to move, and Kashima, I was, like, the person who I thought was going to lose last time. And since it didn't happen, like, I wasn't really expecting her to lose. So it really just came down to, like, Starlight Kid, Iwatani, and Kashima, really. And maybe an angle with Koguma. So they went with one of those. Um, so that kind of hurt. I did enjoy the action. The wrestling itself was good. The the order of eliminations, I think it made sense. Uh, like, I found it really interesting when Iwatani eliminated both Fugigan Death and Kalokura by drop kicking them both off the apron because maybe it was a way for Iwatani to like desperately act without thinking uh, just like desperately trying to win the match to eliminate everyone fast and that ended up costing her the match so little things like that uh, were kind of interesting uh, and at the end it just came down to Natsuko Tora and Starlight Kid and at that point I was 99% sure it was going to be Starlight Kid who would lose I didn't really expect Tora to to lose because if you lose Natsuko Tora, then you have to establish a new leader for Edotai, and that is slightly more harder than just losing like whoever else. But uh, yeah, and so I thought it was still like a really good match. Um, like it wasn't the weakest match of the show for, for by all means, but it was pretty good. Uh, next up, we had. The finals of the Cinderella Tournament 2021, Micah versus Sayakamitani. And Sayakamitani 
won the match uh, around 15 minutes with a corkscrew for 50 also known as the phoenix splash and i really enjoyed this match i i don't know like i didn't think it was like the best finals that i've seen for a tournament but i think it was good the, like both uh finalists were like strong choices really uh, like i said when i was describing the, the singles matches i think both women were at that point as they're about to cross into like the upper echelon of wrestlers like the main eventers and so they both kind of felt in the right place i think they both gained something from being part of this match um especially Kamitani, obviously because she wins so i think in that sense it was a success the match itself was really heavily focused on working on each other's legs micah was trying to keep kamitani grounded and kamitani was working on micah's already injured leg so it just kind of makes sense and like i said I, at the end of the match kamitani just started going slightly more aerial um and it gave micah a lot of trouble to counter ending with a i think it was a spanish fly like a running spanish fly the one that uh uh, Will Osprey does a fisherman driver and then ending it with the Phoenix Splash. So good stuff. Kamitani won. I think it's going to be good for her. She obviously, uh, in previous Cinderella tournaments, when when it was just like a one tournament, uh, like, yeah, show, <laughs> it was just like the whole tournament. They used to have the winner come uh, win the match and then kind of go back for a while and then come back with the dress. In this case, we still had a match left. And so Kamitani didn't really cut a promo or anything. She just went to the back. Next up, we had the match that everyone is talking about. People pretending that they've been following uh, Stardom for years uh, happily have aroused and uh, Rosen from, from the ashes and I don't know where they came from but this was World of Stardom Championship match Utami Hayashishita versus Suri and I thought this was a 5 star match I thought this was perfect I I like I when it ended I just gave it the the rating I wasn't really thinking about anything else I just felt like this is a perfect match when I really started to think about what have been my match of the year contenders this year, I figured, no, I, this is definitely my match of the year. Uh, the previous match of the year that I had before this was still Ibushi versus White uh, from Wrestle Kingdom. Other matches had come really, really close. Um, you know, some of the Osprey and Shingo stuff. Um, they had come really close, but nothing had really, really touched that white versus Ibushi much for me. That was still my favorite. And when this came, like I was like, yeah, this is my favorite match of the year. And so that was pretty cemented. But then I started thinking, okay, so what was my match of the year of 2020? And what was my match of the year of 2019? What was my match of the year in 2018? And as I really started to go over my my list of matches of the year of the previous years, I realized I think this is like my favorite match that I've watched since 
if not Omega versus Okada, maybe like that era when Okada had his ring of 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 just fantastic matches. You know, the Shivata match, the the Omega matches. Uh, the I think that's when he also had like that Ishii G One match that I loved. And so I think, I think this is my favorite match that I've seen since like that era, like before AEW even existed. Um, and like, I know in the last years, there may have been matches that I enjoyed more, maybe because they were like fun. Like, like for instance, a, I, I usually say this for many shows like uh like cyber fight last week the ddt versus congo match it wasn't the best match of the night but it was probably one of my favorite matches because it was just incredibly fun choco pro matches like uh the 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 chris brooks asuka and man who was the third person in that team the chris brooks asuka and pineapple girl <laughs> versus lulu pencil match i loved that match but it just wasn't going to be a work rate 10 over 10 you know it was not a five-star match it was just like a match that i really really loved and i enjoyed it but it's one of those matches that you're not just going to give it five stars because it's really not but this is a match that i gave it a perfect grading and i think it's just one of my favorite matches that i've seen in in years like straight up years uh, so if you haven't heard by now, the story of the match is that Hayashi Shijita and Suri, they went the 30 minutes because Stardom does 30 minutes, uh, 30 minute time limit for their title matches. And that is, uh, that's something that, I mean, it, like, for instance, if you were watching, if you don't know Stardom, but like, I don't know, you watch, I don't know, like New Japan or... Well, yeah, New Japan is a perfect example, or or maybe Noah. You know that ma title matches tend to be 60 minutes, and they always sometimes go over to like 40 or even go to the limit. Um, same if you're uh, like a fan of Ring of Honor. And, and, and I'm saying those promotions because those promotions do tend to give you a Broadway match every now and then. Like the Fed or AEW, I think, even at this point, I think they also have like the... 60 minute time limit or the before the show ends time limit and in those cases it's super rare to see a match go over 30 minutes especially in the fed and so um in this case it's already established that stardom does 30 minutes it's usually that is the case like you are you know coming into the show you know that that is how the promotion works and so they went to the 30 minute time limit like by the time the 30 minute goes, they're still like you can tell that they're still gas in the tank. They're just like going fast, trying to get the pin. They're striking each other. I think the last spot right before the 30 minute call is that they're striking each other. And so we got the bell. We even got the little sign that says draw. And it's like, I don't know. Like I said, if you if you follow Stardom, you're like, well, that was it. Uh, there's I mean, that's where the match ends. It ends in a draw. Maybe they can do it again uh, some other time. Well, that's it. It just ended up in a draw. And you're like, I mean, it was cool. You know, it was a really good match at that point. I was probably like in 9.5, 9.75. Because it still had been a fantastic match. Like super stiff, super like high action packed 
uh, all over the place. But uh, yeah, like at that point, you're like, well, I guess that that's it. But then no, Siri gets a microphone and that she's pretty much saying, I still got <laughs> fuel in the tank and Hayashita, let's keep up fighting. Uh, Hayashita agrees. They both ask pretty much the office, uh, Rossi, and they are given an extra 30 minutes. What happens? They just go straight to battle again. And like they, they go at the same pace that they were going. Like they didn't slow down a single like point. Like many matches when you have the sudden death or like the extra amount of minutes, the extra five minutes, uh, it tends to be like sometimes, you know, you 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 either rest it before the, the 30 minute time limit or you kind of go into like a bunch of near falls or or like maybe a submission just to rest or stuff. Like these two women just went straight into kicking each other's ass again. And the magic comes at the 43 minute mark, uh, or I guess 13 minute mark at this point. And they both just like, after hitting each other with a bunch of moves and strikes and everything, they both just land on the mat and neither can respond to the 10 count. And so for the second time in, a ma in this match, we had a draw. Uh, at this point, it was a double knockout, and it was perfect. Uh, I think, I think when it, it, it may, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. Like if you see this finish in every other promotion, uh, maybe not like New Japan or All Japan, who tend to be like super work rate based. Like if you see this in any American promotion, you are going to shit on the finish because it's going to be the usual. You made me watch a 43 minute for double knockout. God damn. But in this match, like if you like, even if you don't know like much of the wrestlers, you see the match, you see the, the intensity and you get to the point where they're like 30 minutes and they're like, we, I can still go. Like I'm dragging myself, but I can still go. And I just want to kick your ass. And and then they go 13 minutes more and they just like cannot continue. And you're like, I can totally believe this, believe this because these two women, while they don't actually hate each other, they were willing to go all the way to hold the red championship. And it led them to both being unable to answer a 10 second count. Right in the middle of the ring, neither woman was able to move or anything. And that was kind of like the beauty of this match. It was like, it's not something that you can do often. Like you cannot redo this match in a year or even two. I think like this story of restarting a match and then just going to a draw. I think it's something you, you do once every maybe five years. It's similar to the Goshosaki and Fujita match where they stared at each other for 30 minutes. It was beautiful and fantastic for what it was when it happened. But you cannot redo that again in 10 years. So I think it's a similar here with Hayashishita and Suri. The next show they have, they cannot just do a 30-minute match. They need to do a 60. And you cannot just like go to a time limit and restart it. You need to just let it be what it is to be but this is a, like to me this was the perfect story for the perfect moment the perfect point in their rivalry 
the perfect point in both Hayashishita's reign and Siuri's, uh, I guess, rise to become the top of the promotion. Uh, because we've been seeing it for the last year, like Siuri's rise and Hayashishita's uh, reign. And I think that all combined is the beauty. Like I've heard people, uh, New Japan Strong champion Tom Lawler, for instance, say that he he doesn't follow all stardom he is not a like he's not knowledgeable of them he may know Suri from ufc and he may know Hashita maybe from a clip or two but he's not really into the the promotion or anything but he saw this match and he thought that was the perfect ending that was a perfect match uh and i think that says a lot uh a lot of people are saying that if you watch this in the English feed, that the commentary did a, lot, a really good job in explaining you who the wrestlers are and their motivations and all that stuff. I watched it in Japanese, and I, I'm pretty sure that I had an even better experience because you had Julia screaming her like face off at every big spot. Like Julia at the end of the of the match on commentary, she's crying. She's crying because of what she just saw Suri do in the ring and because at the end of the match Suri is a mess like she's crying because she 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 failed to capture the red title a red title that meant so much for her um and Hayashishita is just like she's physically and mentally just done for the day uh Natsuko Tora actually comes after the the match to make her challenge and that's why i was saying that Ansukotora is it's heading into a different direction it seems but she comes out after the match and she's pretty much challenging for the red title hayashishita is just like a million like miles there she's like yeah 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 okay okay yeah 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 because she's just mentally and physically done and i mean what a perfect sell for the perfect match uh and so I don't even know what else to tell you. Like, this was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, look, if whether you actually follow Stardom forever or this is your first time and you want to pretend you follow Stardom forever, go watch this match. It was just an incredible, incredible match. It's and it's one of those matches where like 43 minutes pass and you're like, wait, 43 minutes already passed? Because the action is nonstop, the personalities are fantastic. Suri, like Suri, has been my favorite wrestler all year. Like as much as I love Shingo Takagi, and and Yuka Sakasaki, and and Higuchi and Sakaguchi, who have been I've been hyping for almost a year now. Suri has been my favorite wrestler of this year, uh, and. Oh my god, it was just fantastic. And on the other side, Hayashishita had been a wrestler that ever since she won the Red Championship, a lot of people were always like, she's good, but she like her her title matches are not always there. Uh she had Kamitani as a challenger. I think she had Micah as a challenger too already. And there were two matches that people were like, they're really good matches, but I don't know, Hayashishita, there's something missing. Well, go watch this match and tell me that Hayashishita, who has like three years in the business, like 
there are she's better than 90 percent no wait she's better than 98 percent of the people that have been in the in wrestling more than her and she's better than them like i i don't know like sometimes people like go to like think of like nxt and and i don't know like aw dark and they're like oh man like oh she's kind of green or i mean she's only been in the business for for four years you know like this is her first first big shot like Ashita has been in the business for I, it may be less than three years um let me give you an exact date because i should have it here she she started wrestling get this 12 8 2018 she's been in the business two years and she's already a far better wrestler than probably 90 95 percent of wrestlers that have been uh wrestling for way longer than her uh, she was trained by kagetsu she had a background in judo and that is it <laughs> that is it and she is freaking amazing and Sudi, i mean what can i say i just i love that woman she's an ass kicker through and through this was the best match i've seen in years in years at the end of the show we just had the formality of crowning the cinderella tournament 2021 champion saya kamitani came out she's now wearing the full cinderella gown uh she's looking fantastic it was actually kind of weird because i have this idea of saya kamitani as i don't know what how to describe her because it's not bubbly but she has a personality uh that we used to see it uh when she's wrestling in her gear but then she comes out like in this full gown and she's like looking all beautiful and so it's kind of like huh that's a different side of kamitani that i've never seen before but i like it but uh yeah she she got her trophy from rossi it was a nice crystal like uh cinderella uh shoe i guess and she got her winner's promo she immediately challenged tamakano uh, she's going to chase her. Tamnakano was out there with her titles. Uh, she didn't actually get in the ring or anything, like which I liked. I it, it was Kamitani's like time, so I didn't want really anyone to to get in the ring and take her spotlight. So Tamnakano was just kind of out there, kind of like acknowledging the the challenge, and then she just walked to the back, and then the night belonged to Kamitani. And man, what a what a, what a fantastic fantastic show from stardom it was a card that like i said i wasn't even like incredibly hyped for but after it i was like just flabbergasted of how amazing it was like there is no doubt in my mind that 2021 the best promotion in the world is stardom um maybe there are close second like i've been enjoying like ddt and and tjpw a lot but they're not even close to how perfect stardom has been how much stardom has been able to grow from the problems of 2020 um you know like in 2020 they lost hana they lost uh arisa they lost kagetsu they lost hasuki and then the pandemic hit and through all of that they've grown the most they've given us top level promotions like this like stardom today feels like new japan did when 
Okada was coming back from excursion and and they were starting to really make a lot of noise because of how good the cards were top to bottom and that is starting right now every wrestler has a personality every wrestler has a style every wrestler puts on like pretty good matches like the rookies rena hina hanan they're all super solid ruaka is coming to herself himeka micah natsuboy all of them are already pretty well established super good wrestling um even comedy wrestlers like fukigen death are fan- i mean fucking kaori yonayama she's a fantastic wrestler like dave they're st- they've started to like pull back a little bit on the cheating stuff with all the tie it's just a fantastic promotion right now to me it's the promotion of the year and it's going to take a lot from the rest of the promotions to really live up to it uh by the end of the year because i don't foresee it uh maybe new japan now that they've put the title on shingo will go will get back on track uh but i mean we don't know <laughs> we don't really know all i know is that stardom tokyo dream cinderella 2021 special edition was freaking fantastic and now we go all the way to the united states for our next show the only other show that i i i watched uh i started watching the misawa memorial show from noah i actually didn't finish it but i didn't really think much of it i there's the direction for some of the things that are happening there are not like (laughs) super interesting to me but I did watch Impact Wrestling's Against All Odds 2021. This took place in Nashville, Tennessee and Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, for the main event, this was a, I, th- I think it was a good show, pretty decent, like nothing mind blowing or anything of this of such. Uh, like even the best match of the night was just good. I, I wouldn't even cross it to great. But I think overall it was a pretty, like, it was a successful show, I would say. I think uh, some of the matches, mm, maybe some of the matches, like, they could have been on a normal Impact show, but I think it was enjoyable. So from the top, we had the opener, Sammy Callahan and Tommy Dreamer defeat the Crew Brothers. Uh, I thought the match was okay, meh, really. Um, the stuff with Callahan was pretty decent. It's a weapon match. I've expressed myself that I don't like weapon matches in a pandemic setting because there is no fans to react to the spots. Uh, and in this case, like Tommy Dreamer was just doing his shtick from 30 years ago. And so I I just, I just don't really care about Tommy Dreamer, uh, especially like in a, in a street fight type of match, but Callahan was okay. He had like, okay sequences. Uh, the whole reason why this match existed was to get the Good Brothers and Callahan uh, to have a match in Nashville to give us the impression that they're not going to be able to make it to Jacksonville for the main event. And we'll get to it later today. Uh, we had Joe Doring defeat uh, Satoshi Kojima. I thought this was... I didn't think this was the match of the night by any means, but it was probably up there, maybe top two, top three. Um Joe Doring, we don't really see him as often, and so it it is a, a treat when we do get to see him, and he was great. Like Doring, 
I think it's just a combination of like injuries, wear and tear, and just age straight up. I mean, he the man looks fantastic, but he is he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's he's hitting forty, I think, next year. Uh or this year, maybe, I don't know. But I think he's hitting 40, 40. And so, I don't know, like, he's a cancer survivor and stuff. Like, I think it was cancer. But, uh, he, I mean, he's just had a lot. <laughs> Let's just say that. And so he's not moving crazy fast or anything. But whatever Doring does in the ring just makes sense. And it has a purpose. It has a reason. And so they had a good combination. Obviously, Kojima and Doring know each other from All Japan. Uh, this is a battle between two former uh, Triple Crown champions, but also a battle of the former Triple Crown versus IWGP. Um, I don't know, a lot there of history, if you're willing to go back to read, you know, pages and pages of their careers in All Japan. But like in here, it was just a good match. It, it kind of, a, a weird way to describe this is that they had a short match, like... It was like an abridged version of an All Japan match, but not a short All Japan match. Because we've seen short All Japan matches. Like, I mean, the Champion Carnival gave us a lot. But it wasn't that. It was just like, it was like they're trying to have a long match, like a 15-minute, 20-minute match. But they made it short into a 9-minute match. And so that's what we got. I was really surprised that, that Doring won clean in the ring. Uh, I mean, just politics-wise, it's interesting that a... Like, I don't think New Japan would care if their guys do jobs to impact guys because, like, we are going, for instance, to see Josh Alexander go to Strong or we've seen Chris Bay, TJP. Uh, and I don't necessarily think... Like, I mean, I think part of the deal is that your guys come to us and we defeat them. But then if we send you guys that you can defeat them. And so I was recently like, like in that sense, I think it makes sense. But at the end of the day, it is a former All Japan guy, which I think is just a former All Japan because the pandemic, by all means, maybe if there was no pandemic, Joe Doring would have been in Japan all of last year and this year uh, defeat a New Japan guy. So I felt I thought that politics wise, that was really interesting. But I would imagine that New Japan signed off on it. And so I, I don't foresee any problems. We had the X Impact X Division title match. Uh, well, title number one contendership match. This was Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Petey Williams, Rohi Raju, and Trey Miguel. This match ended with some controversy. Controversy that I actually liked uh, or respected more than more than liked. And that was that after 12, 10 minutes, uh, 10 to 12 minutes, uh, Mattman Fulton came out uh, in the last impact. We had seen that they, Chris Bay, Williams, Raju, and Miguel took out Mattman Fulton. Uh, they gave him a, a super destroyer from the top rope. And so the idea here is that Ace Austin came by himself. He has like no backup. There we're just having a straight up match. And the match was fantastic. It was a really, really good match. Up until the finish, where Mamma Fulton came back. He was booked as a monster among monsters. 
at one point he gave he had Trey Miguel kind of like for a I guess for a full away slam and then he had uh I think it was Rohit and Trey Miguel for choke slams and then Chris Bay jumped in for a power slam and so he hit all of those at the same time but anyway the the finish actually comes from Fulton creating so much chaos in the match that the referee decided to call it a no contest and so that's the that is oh man that's actually perfect that we can talk about this that is the perfect contrast that i was talking about right now with the finish of hayashishita versus suri in that match they gave us a double knockout in this match they gave us a no contest to me it made perfect sense to give a no contest because often we complain that in multi-person matches uh, there are no DQs, no countouts, and because of that, we tend to have a lot of chaos and a lot of shenanigans. Shenanigans like this, like Mattman Fulton coming in and literally kicking the shit out of everyone and giving us a winner in Ace Austin. And so to me, having the referee like say, nope, no contest, this is like, you, you cross the line. To me, it makes perfect sense. It was the perfect decision. If you don't like this, I can assure you it's because you have been trained by WWE and maybe other promotions that this is a shitty finish because they do it in worse ways that have no point at all. This one made perfect sense to me. It There was buildup even from the week before or the impact, like the go-home impact. There was built to this and it made perfect sense. To me, it made perfect sense. So this this match probably is going to have really bad ratings in cage match and probably like uh, the wrestling observer and all that stuff. But to me, it made perfect sense. I think it deserves a way better rating uh, than it's going to get. Next up, we had W. Morrissey defeat Rich Swan. This went about 12 minutes and Swan had a lot of offense, but... I was so close to just calling it a squash. Morrissey looked so incredibly dominant. Like the ending of the match, straight up, Morrissey taking two 450s, one on the floor, one inside the ring. And then Swan goes for the Phoenix Splash and he catches him pretty much midair and he finishes him with, um, I think it was the, I think it was a power, a couple of power bombs or three of them. But, to, like I don't know, like I, f- I didn't think the match was that much or anything interesting. Like to me, this match felt more as a kind of like a midpoint in whatever angle or not angle, like whatever story they're building. I'm guessing these two are going to have a more hardcore type of match come Slammiversary, and so it just like to me, just it, it felt more like an angle than a match. Nonetheless, I thought it was okay. Uh, Morrissey looks good. I think he's being built as an incredible monster. I just don't know what the end game of him being a monster is. I don't know if they want to feed him to Omega. I wouldn't. But at the same time, I don't know who you fit eventually feed him to. Maybe Moose if he wins the championship as a babyface later down the road. But I don't know. Like To me, Morrissey right now feels like such a weird 
booking, but mostly because I don't know where he's going. Like when Joe Dorian came in, he's just a muscle to Eric Young. He's not getting a singles push or anything. And so like to me, he still makes perfect sense. Same with Madman Fulton. He was first with uh, Sammy Callahan and now he's with Ace Austin. But they're just muscles. They're just heaters. Morrissey's by himself. And so that's way different. Um, so I don't really know where he's going. I don't know if Rich Swan is going to defeat him eventually. I think he should, maybe. But it depends on what you're thinking of doing with Morrissey. So I don't know. Like That is, that is one that I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Uh, I just hope the the road to getting there is actually interesting. Uh, we had the final non-title match of the night. This was Tennille Dashwood defeating Jordan Grace. Uh, this match, I totally felt like this could have been taking place on, on a normal impact. Uh, the match was okay. It was actually better than a lot of the matches tonight. Uh, but I, I don't know. I... It's just, it was yet another match in what seems to be Jordan Grace's long processed uh, either heel turn or just downward spiral into madness. Uh, as we know, Jordan Grace has been on a losing streak. She has been portrayed as the weak link of the team, but not necessarily because she is. It's just It just happens that she is and everyone's getting in her head. And so now Tennille defeated Jordan Grace here again. And what ended up happening is that Grace kind of like flipped out at the end of the match. She kind of flipped out on Ellering. And, but instead of turning on Ellering, she just like laid out Caleb, which to me is something that I like. They're not really rushing to turning Jordan Grace heel or to a feud or anything. They're just kind of like, I don't know, like slowly burning that whatever is going to happen. And I don't know what's going to happen. Like at any point she can either turn on Ellering or she can start winning matches and they're both going to be perfectly okay as progression to her story. And so we'll see where it goes. I am guessing we get Grace versus Ellering at Slammiversary. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the match. So uh I don't know. We'll see where it goes, but like I said, I think this match could have taken place at a at a normal impact show really. And then we go into the four uh, title matches of the night. The first one, Fire and Flava, the team of Kira Hogan and Steels defended the title against Kimberly and Susan. Match was okay, nothing special. Uh, I did enjoy seeing like a new pair up of teams between these two because they I don't think they ever wrestled before, uh, at least not in in like heel like in a championship type of situation. And but that was it. Like, uh, I mean, it was a it was heels versus heels, but they didn't actually turn into the like, who can out heal the other. It was just like mostly a lot of trash talk. They went about ten minutes. The wrestling was okay. Um, to me, Tasha Steeles is one of the, my favorite wrestlers on Impact, so I, I just enjoy her so much. I mean, for that matter, Hogan and Susan, I think, are quite entertaining too. But to me, Tasha Steeles is like the the whole shebang. And yeah, uh, Fire and Flavor 1, Steels hit the Frog Splash on, I think it was Susan. And that was the ending. We had the Impact World Tag Team title match. This was Violent by the Sign. The Freebird rule applied, and it was Diener and Rhino defending against DK, Black Taurus, and Crazy Steve. Another match that was just okay. This also, like, 
the problem with this is that after two or three years that our champions have been the north like with a, a year-long reign the motor city machine guns fin juice the good brothers uh like those type of teams like prior to them it was like lax and it was uh the lucha brothers like those tend to be the the, the feuds now we have the titles on violent by design and they're feuding with decay and so for the first time in years the tag team title match didn't really feel like a big deal it's dinner and rhino and steve and taurus taurus and so like i don't know like the match was okay like i f i actually think steve and dinner are far better wrestlers than people uh give them credit for black taurus is amazing and rhino has always been a solid guy uh, but just the combination of, of this match as a tag title match, it just, I don't know, it just feels underwhelming compared to what we've seen for the last literally two or three years of tag team wrestling on Impact. Like, you don't really think about it, but like, really, just look back at the last two or three years, maybe even five years, if we want to go all the way back to... Uh, the Christ, the OVE versus Lucha Brothers and all that stuff. Like Impact has had a low key, fantastic tag title run for years now. Um, and I think this was the first time that in a long time, it just kind of felt like underwhelming or yeah, like underwhelming, like not really there. Um, so I think this may have been one of the weaker matches of the show. Uh, maybe. But it was a good match, nonetheless. I, I I would qualify it as... I think, for me, my good is may, may fall under your fair. <laughs> but I don't use fair. What the fuck is fair? But uh, I think it was good. Like, it wasn't insulting. The action was good. Uh, yeah. like, And then also, like, similar to Fire and Flare versus Kimberly Susan... If anything, this is a new pair-up. This is a fresh pair-up. This is not the same teams that we watch over and over and over and over again. And then we saw, like, the previous four impacts leading up to the title match. Like, this was a fresh pair-up. Uh, so, if anything, like, that is a, a, a pro for this match. That it was a new, like, a new match that we hadn't really seen before. We had the Impact Knockouts Championship match, Diana Parasso defeated rosemary i think this is victory number eight she's just in a role she was incredibly dominant um like even if rosemary wasn't easy to beat because she just wouldn't submit for god dang submit uh diana Parasso looked totally in control she had a game plan go after the arm after that didn't work go after the leg so that rosemary cannot like even stand and take away the legs on Rosemary, and, and she cannot do as a bop so below. She cannot do a red wedding. She cannot really hurt you that much with uh, the upside down. She can probably not run as hard to hit the spear. And so Rosemary took away the arm and then took away the leg and just won with Cosa Nostra because she just couldn't get her to submit. Perfect game plan. Diana Parasso looks amazing. Uh, I think Diana Parasso has reached that point where because of triple mania i don't think we're like i don't think anyone's expecting purazzo to lose a title but she also has run over the whole division 
I don't know what's happening with Taylor Wilde because she wasn't in the tapings. I have to assume that she's going to be the, the challenger for Slammiversary. But even then, like, that's really, like, one of the only people that are left for Parasso. And, and I forgot to mention this for Fire and Flava, too. Like, Fire and Flava has also run down the, the tag division. I would imagine that with Slammiversary coming in, we either get Havoc and Rosemary as a tag team, and they actually could win the titles. Probably will. Or maybe we see, like, a certain iconic... Uh, debut, maybe, I don't know, but for Diana Parasso, like, sh it's interesting because a lot of people in the division are credible contenders at any given point. Like, you don't really have to jump through hoops to make us believe that Rosemary or Havoc or Taylor Wilde or Tennille Dashwood or Jordan Grace or Rachel Early that any of them are credible contenders. Like, they did it last year with ODV and Jazz. Like, maybe you kind of expected them to lose but like especially with jazz there was always like the huh careers on the line what if jazz actually wins uh but like i think at this point Parasso is starting to come to the point where you know there's not a lot of competition left i think they either i mean they reestablished taylor wilde as a challenger or they're gonna have to find someone new because there's i don't think there's much competition left but yeah, that, that was actually probably like one of my favorite matches. Probably top three, that I want to say. Like, if I have to say top three, I would go Kenny Omega and Moose, number one. Dorian versus Kobashi. Kobashi, I mean, Kojima, number two. And Parasa versus Rosemary, probably number three. Um, so I enjoyed it. Uh, Parasa's just, like, really well taken care of. I love how commentary treats her. I like her matches because they always seem to have her come off, come off as uh, someone with a a game plan, and I think that's that's something that you don't awfully see in champions nowadays. And talking about champions with uh, zero game plan, we had Kenny Omega defeat Moose to retain the Impact World Championship. This match took place in Jacksonville at Daly's place. It was agreed upon by Scott Demore and Tony Khan. Um, which I think it helped give it a different feeling. Uh, there was live actual fans in the show. Uh, so that was good. Uh, the place looked different, which, I mean, you could see it as a strength or a weakness. Uh, there were some parts of the match where the background just was black. And so it seemed like they were fighting in a void. Uh, but like, for instance, Moose coming out in Daly's place, he looked like a million dollars. Like Moose really, really, I think I I think that was the thing that I liked the most about this match is the portrayal of Moose as a bigger deal than he may be actually, and and that's because the the story of the match was that as good as Kenny Omega is, Moose is a bigger guy. He's stronger. He's a fantastic athlete, and so Kenny Omega just couldn't like couldn't crack him and it took like the two things that took to take out moose was one moose accidentally took himself out uh early in the match by doing like a running dive and then he landed on the the like the crowd area the chairs and so he took his arm out and kenny omega worked on the arm for the rest of the sh of the match the second one is that at the end of the match Moose definitely 
kind of seemed to getting closer into like bringing Omega down. Like Omega was already in his B trigger dragon suplex mode and Moose was still countering and coming back and he went for lights out and that's when Omega pulled the referee and they, the generation me, the team of generation me came out and attacked Moose. Um, and so 100% definitely Omega had to constantly, well, not constantly, but he had to cheat to win. And he was just lucky that Moose took himself out early in the match. And so I really liked the portrayal of Moose. What I didn't like was the shitty ending uh, with the Young Bucks coming out and hitting like several super kicks on Moose, then the BTE trigger. And then Omega just hit the one winded angel. And actually, like, if you want to compare that finish to other finishes that people hate, to me, that was a total evil finish, like from New Japan, where you fi- see the things happening and it just sucks the air dry. It leaves you in a void because you know that's it. You know that's the end. And you're just like, okay, let's get to it. I mean, if this is the end, don't waste my time. And I thought that was super weak. I, This is something that you don't actually see in Impact as, as often. Like, I'm not... I've been joking around that this was an AW thing uh, because in Impact you don't see it. It is somewhat true. We don't really see it in Impact nowadays anymore. But I, I wouldn't necessarily also say that it was an AW thing. Uh, but it definitely felt like it was super shitty uh, just to see that finish, especially because the match had been pretty entertaining. But if anything else, it does incredibly protect Moose so that... Once we're done with Slammiversary and we start to build towards Bound for Glory, it can be Moose in a complete babyface form going for the title and winning in the rematch. And I think in the long term, that could be way more positive than just having Omega like win clean. So given that expectation that I have, I will cut them some slack. After the match, because we already know who the challenger for Slammiversary is, we saw Sammy Callahan come out. He took out uh, both Bucks, and then he went to take out Kenny Omega's eye, as he did with Eddie Edwards a couple of years back. Uh, and then Don Callis, as our reaction, fired Sammy Callahan from Impact before he could kill Kenny Omega. And that was it. That was the end of the show. Um, and... I, like I said, I think it was a good show. Top to bottom, it was good. It was okay to good. Uh, nothing I would say is worth going out of your way to watch or any of that sort. I think it was a show that was there, but I think it was good. It wasn't a waste of time. If there's, if there's a praise that I can give this show is that after watching Stardom, I... I watched it. I watched the show and I wasn't like, like thinking like, oh man, like starting was so much better. Uh, even if it was, because that's something that people say that happens when you watch new Japan before you watch WWE. And like, to me, it didn't happen on this map and this show, uh, you know, one was one thing. And then I watched this and it was like, okay, it is what it is, but it's not like everything looks worse in comparison. So I guess that's good praise that I can give this show. 
and that sets us up for you know it it is the impact forecast Impact Wrestling for June 17. This is already a packed show. I think we have a couple of matches announced already. But the big thing happening is we need to know about the future of Sammy Callahan and the Slammiversary main event. As I just mentioned, Sammy Callahan got fired at Against All Odds. So we're probably going to hear about Don Callis, Scott Demore to see if we're going to do something about the Slammiversary main event. And we're also probably going to see uh, something from Callahan. He's probably going to attack people. <laughs> that tends to be his uh, MMO. MMO. It's MO. Just there's no there's no extra. We also have Kojima Satoshi Kojima versus Rhino, which should be a good hoss fight. Um, if Kojima wins, he and Eddie Edwards get attacked in title match. So I am kind of expecting. To see Kojima win this one, so he and Eddie Edwards can have a title match, maybe the next week, and then he can go back to Japan. Uh, I'm actually surprised that we're getting more Kojima out of this set of tapings. We have a Tennille Dashwood versus Rachel Ellering match. Uh, this just really comes off as after the Jordan Grace match on against All Odds, and I'm guessing it's going to play into that storyline with Jordan Grace. So we'll see what happens. We had the, the debut of Steve Macklin, the former Forgotten Son. Um, I don't even remember what his name was in, on the Fed, but he is debuting. He's probably going to have a match with someone and he's going to win. Um, I don't know. I have hopes for this guy. I love his look. Like it's kind of generic, but I think, I don't know. I think there's potential there. So hopefully he gets uh, something good going on. And finally, we have a match of TJP versus Black Taurus, which has the potential to be really, really good if they give them time and TJP is willing to take on a real Black Taurus. <laughs> uh, I think this match has a lot of potential. I'm excited for this one in particular. Uh, that is it for Impact, though. That is uh, so we have four matches one of them is a debut and whatever's happening to sammy callahan and i'm pretty sure they're going to add some extra stuff there's probably going to be something with moose uh maybe omega too but then that may just be part of the sammy callahan stuff but that is it for this week of wrpx thank you for being here thank you for following thank you for listening remember you can find us on spotify itunes or wrpxpodcast.com uh, leave a share, a subscribe, a star, a review, whatever. Uh, everything helps the algorithm to get us to more people. Uh, you can go to Twitter to DW Revolution where you can find me and all my my witty commentary. Uh, talking shit about how Samoa Joe retired in 2015 and he stayed retired. Uh, you can go to DWrestlingRevolution.com where you can find the written version of all the shows that we talked about today. And every other show, uh, that is where we upload all our um, written reviews of shows. And not just me, other people too. Uh, just in case you want to also read about other people's perspectives on certain shows. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. Remember, you can find me doing live coverage of everything Impact on Figure 4W Online. 
Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to the Wrestling Mayhem show that invited me to their show last week for a fun, it was a really fun uh, episode talking about we were building a better card for SummerSlam that WWE will, and I think we succeeded. Uh, so go check them out. Uh, I think they're a Wrestling Mayhem show. Uh, you can Google Wrestling Mayhem show and they're all over the place. So go check them out. Uh, and I think that is it. We, I will see you on Thursday on Twitch. And if not on Twitch, I will see you next week with more WRPX. So, as I always do, I bid you adios. Well, that's about it. Son of a gun, we've enjoyed it. Looking forward to next week. I guess we'll have to wait a week before we get to it, but we'll be right back again. For Corey Macklin, Dave Brown, Lance Russell saying bye-bye, everybody.